Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the show. It's Coast to Coast Live, a very special edition regarding the Democratic National Convention, and we're going to cover as much of that as we possibly can here and play some audio clips of the convention. In case you missed any portion of it, you can get the convention here at Coast to Coast. And uh, my name is Andy Kimball, flying solo today. That introductory music is a, is a tune that I wrote actually as a guitar piece. It's kind of more of a finger-picking bluesy type piece, and I sent it to my producer in Hawaii who orchestrated it and made it, uh, well, it's our introductory music that you hear. One, one of these days I'll play, um, I'll put the whole thing on for you. It's kind of cool. But anyway, um, again, my name is Andy Kimball. This is Coast to Coast, special edition of the DNC uh, convention, and we're going to go ahead and get right into it and play um, excerpts of the convention. Actually, we're going to try to play quite a bit of it through its entirety. Our number here to join me on this show is 515-605-9888, and we have a couple of lines already letting up here who want to get involved in the conversation. We're going to hold on and play the convention clips that we have. Um, uh, and you know, dive into this and let us know your thoughts. Email me your thoughts um, and ideas regarding what you've seen, if you've seen any convention thus far, at uh, Andy and Lloyd Show at Gmail dot com. Andy and Lloyd Show at Gmail dot com. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know your thoughts on the show and uh, what you'd like to talk about that we haven't discussed yet. And there's a lot more to go. The number again is five one five six zero five nine eight eight eight. And let's get right into it and play excerpts from the first day, which is yesterday, of the Democratic National Convention here on Coast to Coast. Thanks for listening. Joe Biden's picking up not one, but three endorsements from his former opponent. I will be casting my ballot for Joe Biden. We have found that leader and Vice President, soon-to-be President, Joe Biden. The Democrats really seem to unify last night here in Dallas and do it behind Joe Biden. It is up to us to heal this country. I am ending my campaign and endorsing Joe Biden for president. The Vice President gained the support of two more former rivals, Senators Kamala Harris and Cory Booker. He is a, a public servant who has always worked for the best of who we are as a nation. We will elect Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. I'm on Team Joe. I'm riding with Biden. I am so proud to be on Joe's team because Joe is on your team. I hereby am endorsing Joe Biden to be the next president of the United States. Today, I'm proud to join Joe Biden. I don't think there's anybody better to try and heal the country right now than Joe Biden. People trust him. They believe in him. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders has officially endorsed two men who represent these uh, two wings of the Democratic Party coming together. So today I am asking all Americans to come together in this campaign to support your candidacy, oh. which I endorse. Former President Barack Obama now officially off the 2020 sidelines. And that's why I'm so proud to endorse Joe Biden for President of the United States. Two 
Choosing Joe to be my vice president was one of the best decisions I ever made. Biden picked up another major Democratic endorsement, this one from Elizabeth Warren. It's up to all of us to help make Joe Biden the next president of the United States. It's all coming together for Joe Biden. I'm doing everything that I can, and thank you for being part of doing what you can. So join me in supporting Joe, and let's get this done. Let's get to work. We're all in this together. Now's the time to fight for what we believe in. So join us. The Democratic Party has always risen to our country's greatest challenges. I pledge myself to a new deal for the American people. We've moved this country forward in a relentless push for progress. Progress for Americans of all walks of life, not just the privileged few. For the harsh facts of the matter are that we stand at this frontier at a turning point of history. We do not want our freedom gradually, but we want to be free now. We've brought together voices from every part of America. We are a people in a quandary about the present. We are a people in search of our future. We are attempting to fulfill our national purpose to create and sustain a society in which all of us are equal. And we've made history along the way. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. We must pledge once more to march into the future. We are a different society than we were in 1961. Brothers and sisters, do you want to go back? Or do you want to keep America moving forward? Well, our motto is, when they go low, we go high. We never bow. We never bend. We never break. No, we endure. And we always, always, always move forward. This election, we've engaged a historic number of Americans in the democratic process. And now, we have to overcome the odds once again to build back better than before. We lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. We are America, second to none, and we own the finish line. Don't forget it. We are Democrats, and we're ready to lead again. We're coming together on August 17th, all across America. Be there. Well, folks, there is more to come. We're going to be playing some more of the uh, of the uh, coverage from the Democratic National Convention. We're also looking forward to what's going to happen tonight. Bill Clinton is going to speak tonight, and uh, Jill Biden is going to speak tonight. Um, more coverage from last night's DNC convention here on the Clinton Show. My name here being Andy Kimball, flying solo. Good evening. I'm Eva Longoria Baston, and welcome to the 2020 Democratic National Convention, Uniting America. Every four years, we come together to reform our democracy. This year, we've come to save it. It's going to take all of us. So tonight, we stand together united by the values we cherish, decency, respect, justice, and the opportunity to rise up. 
We always hear that line about this being the most important election of our lifetimes, but this year it really is. The past few months have tested us all. We've lost more than 170,000 family members and friends to COVID. This tragedy is compounded by the loss of jobs and income. But it's not just the past few months. The past four years have left us as a nation diminished and divided. And yet, in the middle of the fear and sorrow and the uncertainty, people have come together because they know we are better than this. America is better than this. And so we choose to act, inspired by the three sacred words that breathed life into our nation, we the people. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, let's go. Come on now. Okay, we ready? I think I learned this in middle school or fifth grade. Can I say this in Spanish? So should I read just this line or the whole thing? In order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. We the people. 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 We the one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all.
Hello, my name is Reverend Gabriel Salguero. Let us pray. Almighty God, we confess that our nation needs you and has always needed you. We pray for your blessing upon all of us, Republicans, Independents, and Democrats. As we strive to form a more perfect union, we pray for your strength, guidance, and wisdom. Lord, we recognize that we are living in challenging times that call us to live up to the highest angels of our national character. As we confront the turbulent winds of a global pandemic, economic uncertainty, and civil discord, may your gracious hand lead us to the peaceful shores of love, justice, and civility. Help us, O oh Lord, to be ever mindful of the most vulnerable among us, from our golden generation to our youngest children, desde nuestros inmigrantes to our veterans, from our healthcare workers to our school teachers. Give us a heart of compassion and grace. This nation, from Miami to Minneapolis and from Portland to El Paso, asks you to shepherd us to a hope-filled vision that does justice, ama la misericordia, and walks humbly before you. I pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to our convention across America. We had hoped to gather in one place, but instead we figured out a safe and responsible way to come together to share our ideas and talk about the future of our country. And that's the kind of leadership we need right now. That's the kind of leadership that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will bring to the White House. So during the next four nights, we will gather safely from our homes to listen to learn, to be inspired, to act, to vote, and to build that more perfect union. I am honored to be with you this evening. I'm here tonight as a ninth generation Texan, as a daughter of a veteran and a teacher, as a mother, as a voter, and as a patriot. I share Joe Biden's belief that the story of America is one of ordinary people coming together to do extraordinary things. And at our best, our country rewards hard work. We celebrate diversity. We look out for each other and we lift one another up. So tonight, we're going to begin with the simple kindness we've been extending to each other a lot lately. We're going to check in with folks around the country and ask, how are you doing? As many of you know, small businesses employ half of all U.S. workers. Tonight we have Scott. Scott, you are a small business owner from Swarthmore, Pennsylvania. Small businesses have been hit so hard in this crisis, so many small businesses. How are you doing? How are you managing? Well, you know, it's, uh, it's been rough. Uh, you know, uh, rough uh, is a nice word to say it. Uh, my wife and I, 31 years ago, uh, began our business and quite honestly over all these years uh, we faced some adversity and challenges but uh, to be honest with nothing nothing like we are today um, we've literally had to reinvent our business uh, several times since the beginning of the year just uh, just to stay afloat and um, you know we uh, uh, our revenue, for example, is off about 40%. Uh, our, uh, we have half of the employees that we had uh, pre-COVID. And um, you know, our customers are a little scared. Our, our employees are sometimes afraid to come to work because of the COVID. And um, to be honest with you, I'm just frustrated. Uh, I don't understand how we got here. Uh, we are 
the greatest nation in the world. And um, it just seems to me that, you know, maybe if we just came together on this one issue alone, maybe as Americans and being united, we can overcome. Yeah. Thank you, Scott, for sharing your, your story. I'm sure many small business owners feel the same way that you're, you're feeling now. We wish you the best for your business and, of course, for your family. Now I'd like to turn to Marley Diaz, who is 15 years old from West Orange, New Jersey. She is a literary activist and author, and she is the founder of Thousand Black Girl Books. Marley, so many young people are struggling with the changes due to COVID. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, I feel better every day. I feel more hopeful. I thought this was going to be a few weeks at first where I wouldn't see my friends and I would just stick it out. But obviously, as it's grown longer, I really want to focus on activism and still spreading important messages, given the fact that I can't go out. So I started doing virtual read-alouds online, which has been so fun getting to interact and meet new kids and encourage and promote the joy that we can find in reading and in learning. It's also super fun to see teenagers like me going on social media and talking about social issues and injustices that they care about because sometimes you don't have that space in school. So I hope that a year from now, you know, we get to go back and be safe and be protected, we will still have these conversations and still have a, a new possibility in a new world. Yes, thank you so much, Marley. You're such an inspiration. I don't think I was doing half of what you're doing at 15, and I, I love seeing how brave and creative your generation is to creating change. So thank you. Thank you so much for your work. Um, let's check in with Rick. Rick, you are a farmer from Volant, Pennsylvania. Your farm has been in your family for generations. Um, what have the trade wars and the pandemic done to your family's life work? Well, first of all, I'd like to offer the Trump family our condolences for his loss. Uh, getting back to the business side of it, the, the trade war was uh, it was a real stressful and, and, and truly a devastating uh, effect on a farm. Uh, most probably what people can relate to mostly in agriculture is soybean tariffs. And then whenever you compound the effects of the, uh, the COVID-19 virus, um, Nobody could have prevented that. Uh, it's a shame our leadership uh, misinformed the people like myself in the country on what was coming down the road. Uh, you know, my biggest my biggest concern is that if uh, these trends continue with this type of leadership, uh, I, I will be the last generation farming this farm. Yeah, it's a scary thought, and I'm sure a lot of farmers I don't have, I don't, feel the same way. You know, I don't have the answers, but... Uh, past experiences if something doesn't work for you it's time for a change and uh, that's why I'm supporting Joe Biden all the way well thank you so much uh, Rick I couldn't agree with you more you know we need meaningful change and and leadership that will support family farms like yours so so we wish you the best thank you for sharing your story finally let's hear from Michelle from my home state of Texas Michelle you are a school nurse and a mother in El Paso how are you preparing for the new school year? Hi, Eva. Well, we've already started school, but it is a little challenging because every day something seems to change. We start one way one day, and we have to change it the next day. And I know that right now it's kind of sad not to see the kiddos when we're back, but I know that that will change. We're going to have to adapt and persevere. But honestly, right now, all I can think about is keeping my kiddos safe. I know back in March, you know, we had them at home and we were doing okay, but now they're wanting us to take them back to school. And it's a little scary with all the uprising and COVID cases. 
And so I just want to say that I am committed to take care of my family, my students, and all my staff at my school. I will do whatever it takes to ensure that we are all ready to go back to school safe and healthy. And I know that I am optimistic to move forward with our life, and Joe Joe Biden will be the one to take us there. I just want to say for everyone to please remember to wash their hands and wear their mask because we're all in this together. Thank you, Michelle. I think uh, there's nothing more difficult for us as moms to, than to see our children suffer. And so I think you're doing a great job of guiding them through this very difficult time. And thank you for the work you do as a nurse. It's truly heroic. Um, I really enjoyed talking to all of you. I think I have one last question. Do you believe that change is coming? Do you believe that better days are ahead? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you for taking the time to to speak with us and sharing your thoughts. You are the we and we the people, and you are who this convention is about. In 1776, the Declaration of Independence, we hold these truths to be self-evident. These words, these words are the basis for the American creed, equality, equity, fairness, decency. America didn't live up to that promise for most of the people at the time, a problem the people of color for women, but we were born of an idea that every single solitary person, given half a chance, no matter where they're from, given half a chance, there's not a single thing they cannot do if they work at it. Nothing's beyond the capacity. We had hoped to have our convention in the City of Festivals, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, this year. Of course, we're not able to do that, but we'll be hearing from several of Wisconsin's leaders throughout this convention, starting with Congresswoman Gwen Moore. Hi, I'm Gwen Moore, and it's my honor to represent Milwaukee in Congress and to kick off the 2020 Democratic Convention. Oh, I sure wish you all were here in the city of Milwaukee, which takes its name from the languages of the First Peoples, interpreted as as good land and gathering place by the waters. This is a city where blood was shed for labor rights, where a fugitive slave was freed from prison, where women's right to vote was first ratified. But today, we gather virtually. However, we gather unified in spirit, unified in our values and purpose to heal divisions and together move the nation confidently into a prosperous, inclusive future. What better way to gather than all across America to nominate my beloved friend, Joe Biden, to be 46th president of the United States of America with my VIP, VP nominee, sister, Kamala Harris by his side. Tonight, we are gathered to reclaim the soul of America. So if you're ready to come together, America, text JOIN to 30330. Thank you, I love you all, and God bless you. Can't see nothing coming up behind Make my way through the darkness I can't do nothing but this chain that blinds me Lost track of how far I've gone How far I've gone, how high I've 
in even healthcare. We have a chance right now to look ourselves in the mirror and go vote for a proven leader with a history of caring about others and putting, truly putting all Americans first. Our nation is facing a lot right now, and over the next four nights, we're going to cover it all. But tonight, we're going to talk about three specific crises we face, the pandemic, an economic downturn, and an ongoing systemic racial injustice. But we're not just going to focus on what's wrong. We're going to talk about how to make it right. When peaceful protesters were tear-gassed across from the White House, our next speaker stood up, stood strong, and turned that place into the Black Lives Matter Plaza in their honor. Please welcome Mayor Muriel Bowser. Hello, I'm Muriel Bowser, Mayor of Washington, D.C. The story of our nation's capital is a story of reckoning. It was here that John Lewis and Dr. King spoke on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. It was here that millions of women and men flooded the streets for the Women's March. It was here that just weeks ago, Americans donned face masks and safely and peacefully protested the death of George Floyd. But while we were peacefully protesting, Donald Trump was plotting. He stood in front of one of our most treasured houses of worship and held a Bible for a photo op. He sent troops and camouflage into our streets. He sent tear gas into the air and federal helicopters, too. I knew if he did this to D.C., he would do it to your city or your town. And that's when I said enough. I said enough for every black and brown American who has experienced injustice. Enough for every American who believes injustice. But I said enough for another reason, too. I have a two-year-old daughter, and I want her to grow up in an America where she's not scared to walk to the store, an America where she's safe behind the doors of her own home. An America where the president doesn't fan the flames of racism and looks out for all of us. So I created Black Lives Matter Plaza right behind me as a place where we could come together to say enough. And by coming together this November to elect Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, we will say next. Because we can't just paint those words behind me. We can't just say those words. We have to live those words. We have to undo the laws and systems that have codified racism for far too long. But we have to do something, too. Each and every one of us challenge our own biases. If we see something, do something. Together, we can turn this reckoning into a reimagining of a nation where we the people means all the people. There were a few people who stood on this very balcony as thousands of people peacefully protested in this city. One was our next vice president, my sister Kamala Harris. The others were members of George Floyd's family, who I'm honored to introduce now. My brother George was selfless. He always made sacrifices for his family, friends, and even complete strangers. George had a giving spirit, a spirit that has shown up on streets around our nation and around the world. People of all races, all ages, all genders, all backgrounds, peacefully protesting in the name of love and unity. It's a fitting legacy for our brother, but George should be alive today. Breonna Taylor should be alive today. Ahmaud Arbery should be alive today. Eric Garner should be alive today. Stephon Clark, 
or Tatiana Jefferson, Sandra Bland. They should all be alive today. So it's up to us to carry on the fight for justice. Our actions will be their legacies. We must always find ourselves in what John Lewis called good trouble. For the names we do not know, the faces we'll never see, those who can't mourn because their murders didn't go viral. Please join me in a moment of silence to honor George and the many other souls we lost to hate and injustice. And when this moment ends, let's make sure we never stop saying their names.
Thank you, Leon Bridges, whose song Sweeter featured Terrace Martin, a song written after George Floyd's murder. You know, we have to ask ourselves, how do we, the people, take the protests and turn them into progress? How do we take the changes we're seeing in the hearts and minds of people and translate it into real and lasting change in people's lives? We need to address the economic inequalities that this virus has exposed and worsened, and we need to solve the testing and healthcare disparities that have led to people of color, color dying from COVID at higher rates than white people. And we need to make it easier for Americans to vote. We have a lot to do. And to do this, we need community action. We need Congress that can have power to do it. And we need a president who understands that this is the moment. The moment has come for our nation to deal with systemic racism to deal with the growing economic inequity that exists in our nation, to deal with the denial of the promise of this nation, made to so many. You know, I've said from the outset of this election that we're in the battle for the soul of this nation. And we are in the battle for the soul of this nation. What we believe, and maybe most importantly, who we want to be, it's all at stake. That's truer today than it's ever been, at least in my lifetime. And it's this urgency, it's in this urgency, we can find a path forward. Hey, everybody, how are you? Thanks for doing well, this. Well, right, really thank you, thank you, thank you. Jamira, tell the rest of the folks a little about your background. I started doing activism when I was 15. It was at the intersection of knowing both a perpetrator and a victim. My brother Andre was shot and killed in Philadelphia. And it made me realize that I had a responsibility, almost a collective responsibility to assure that that didn't happen to other young people. And I think that's what's missing in America right now is our collective responsibility to each other and to realize that the person down the street or around the corner or even across the country that we have a responsibility to ensure that we're making sure that they're safe, they have access to education, and that in all, we're creating a world in which their differences are celebrated as well as um, protected under this law. Mayor, how are you prioritizing many things you have to do to, as we try to tackle in a way that we haven't before systemic racism in the city? It really is about economic empowerment because if people are lifted out of poverty, and they are given an opportunity to feel uh, a stake in their own future, that goes a long way. Um, we're also challenging you know, all kinds of institutions from corporations to community-based organizations to think about what they can do better uh, to end systemic racism and make sure that we're uplifting the quality um, of life in communities, but also the voices of people that traditionally don't have a seat at the table. President's talking about defunding the post office and mail-in voting. I mean, what do you think we should be doing, Mr. President? Well, first of all, we have to uh, change the public discourse around voting. It should be seen as the a democratic thing to do 
the most patriotic thing we can do and not a partisan exercise. Uh, secondly, how do we open up access to voting uh, so we can address some of the systemic problems? Not only do, should we reauthorize the Voting Rights Act, but we have to go further. Most importantly, voting should be seen as a constitutional right that's guaranteed and with that level of sight that all citizens can be assured that they can have unfeathered access without being suppressed. With, this is a watershed moment and we can't lose this moment. We have got to have action at the national level. We have got to have congressional action. We cannot have 18,000 police departments and in 2020 have police departments still allowing uh, the use of a knee on a man's neck in George Floyd. Uh, I, a lot of us were shocked and I, and I think what gives me hope is that police officers were shocked. Police officers have spoken out and we're hopeful that we'll have some national uh, standards as it relates to policing, use of force, a national database, uh, you know, abolishment of uh, prohibition on the national standard in terms of uh, chokeholds and that we actually use the death of uh, George Floyd and others to actually make policing uh, take it to the next level, which is what everyone uh, wants, including all the good cops that are out there, that thankfully there are, are more of them than there are bad cops. Most cops are, are, are good, but the fact is the bad ones have to be identified and prosecuted and out, period. Gwen, how are you doing? Oh, well, I'm doing pretty well, uh, as well as can be expected. You know, I, I'm sure that uh, the words of George Floyd, I can't breathe, were not new to you and they echo in your mind every single day. It's six years ago when your son died. But we can't let this keep happening. What do you think the next thing we have to do, Gwen? Well, first of all, I know when my son was murdered, there was a big uprising, but then it settled down. We can't let things settle down. We have to go to the politicians and we have to hold their feet to the fire because otherwise the big uprising is not going to mean a lot. So I'm just asking that um, if you become the president, that you make sure that we get national law as well as state and, and local law, especially when it comes to police brutality, because that has been an age-old problem. Well... I may be kidding myself, but I think the people are ready. I think people are ready. We just got to keep pushing. We can't let up. But thank you for what you're doing. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Racism structurally, individually, and systematically is real. Black, brown, no matter what you look like, you should not ever be fearful of your life due to the color of your skin. What I want to see in the next president of the United States is someone who's fair, who believes in equal justice under the law. I want him to lead us through this revolution that we're experiencing right now. Joe Biden is a healer and he's a unifier. He will fight for the Black Lives Matter movement. Undo, remove, tear down the remnants of structural and systematic racism in this country. The systemic injustices that exist, things that our nation has overlooked that need to be addressed. We need to stand on our platform and introduce legislation that makes this platform felt from coast to coast. And I know that Joe Biden is a person to restore the values that we hold so near and dear to our hearts. I have a 10-year-old son. I want to make sure that there is a world that's left better 
for him. Good evening. I'm Congressman Jim Clyburn here in historic. Good evening. I'm Congressman Jim Clyburn here in historic Charleston, South Carolina. Six months ago, I stood not far from here and endorsed Joe Biden to be our 46th president. It was a decision I made with my feet firmly planted in this community. This community, where 80% of African Americans in this country can claim an ancestor who arrived on these shores in bondage, a few blocks from here over at Gaston's Wharf. This community that is still healing from the wounds we received when a white supremacist entered Emmanuel AME Church and murdered nine black parishioners as they studied the Bible together. The ground beneath our feet is seeded with pain that is both old and new. But from that soil, we always find a way to grow together. Earlier this summer, the city of Charleston removed its statute honoring John C. Calhoun, an honored advocate of slavery. And construction is underway on the International African American Museum at Gadsden's Wharf. Much like the country as a whole, we are stepping out from the shadows of our past and beginning to lay the groundwork for a more just future. It won't be easy. We can only succeed if we move forward together. So we will need a president who sees unifying people as a requirement of the job, a president who understands the true meaning of community and how to build it through trust and humility. And with so many families experiencing loss in this pandemic, lost jobs, lost loved ones, and lost confidence in the president to keep us safe, we need a president who understands both profound loss and what it takes to bounce back. But more important than his firsthand experience with loss and hardship is his ability to translate that perspective into policy and solutions and prioritize hardworking people and persistent poverty counties over partisan politics or personal gain. That's why I stand with Joe and why he will always be an adopted son of South Carolina. Joe Biden is as good a man as he is a leader. I have said before and wish to reiterate tonight, we know Joe, but more importantly, Joe knows us. I am Kevin. Um, I do a lot of things in life, but the thing I'm most proud of is I am a TAPS military mentor, and that's how I spend the majority of my time, post-Marine Corps. Building memories like the ones we build together is the single best thing I do with my time. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your lives and sharing the journeys for the past decade. We've got about 500 kids and family members and mentors, and we're all packed into this very large ballroom. And all of a sudden, the back door opens up, and in walks Joe Biden. I had a, almost an out-of-body experience because he, he surprised us all. You know, I like to think I'm, I'm decent at reading people uh, from my time in the Marine Corps, my time as an intel officer, my time as a drill instructor, my time studying psychology. He was being real. I mean, you, you can't fake that kind of a smile. He was genuinely happy to see these kids and to spend time with them. 
it's easy to lose faith in humanity, especially today. There's a lot of polarization, leaves a lot of room for a lot of hope. And it's hard to articulate real character when you see it. You know, policies are great, and we need sound policies as well, which that's, he also has those because he's got the chops, right? But it's almost like none of that matters if you don't have the character. This is a very unprecedented and challenging time that requires an unprecedented and courageous leader. We need someone with the courage to do what's necessary and what's right to strive towards that more perfect union. That's Joe Biden. I know Joe because he cares about everybody else before himself. You know what else Joe knows? Joe knows about pandemics. In 2014, he helped stop the spread of Ebola and brought the world together to keep it contained. And after that success, knowing this would happen again, Vice President Biden and President Obama assembled a pandemic playbook to make sure that America was prepared and protected. The Trump administration disbanded the pandemic response team that was given to them. Americans have died and lost their livelihoods because of it. We, the people, deserve a president who believes in science, that recognizes the threat of COVID, who has a plan to get us through it. And that is Joe Biden. We're grateful that across the country there are responsible leaders who are stepping up. One of them provided clear direction and memorable PowerPoints, New York's Governor Andrew Cuomo. Hello. Today is Monday, day 170. New Yorkers were ground zero for the COVID virus and have gone from one of the highest infection rates on the globe to one of the lowest. We climbed the impossible mountain, and right now we are on the other side. We did it with the kindness and assistance of so many. New Yorkers want to thank everyone who came to our aid, 30,000 Americans who volunteered to come here to help in our hour of need. Your love gave us the strength to carry on. We went through hell, but we have learned much. We know that our problems go beyond the COVID virus. COVID is the symptom, not the illness. Our nation is in crisis. And in many ways, COVID is just a metaphor. A virus attacks when the body is weak and when it cannot defend itself. Over these past few years, America's body politic has been weakened. The divisions have been growing deeper, the anti-Semitism, the anti-Latino, the anti-immigrant fervor, the racism in Charlottesville, where the KKK didn't even bother to wear their hoods, and in Minnesota, where the life was squeezed from Mr. Floyd. Only a strong body can fight off the virus, and America's divisions weakened it. Donald Trump didn't create the initial division. The division created Trump. He only made it worse. Our collective strength is exercised through government. It is, in effect, our immune system. And our current federal government is dysfunctional and incompetent. It couldn't fight off the virus. In fact, it didn't even see it coming. The European virus infected the Northeast while the White House was still fixated on China. The virus had been attacking us for months before they even knew it was here. We saw the failure of a government that tried to deny the virus, then tried to ignore it, and then tried to politicize it. The failed federal government that watched New York get ambushed by their negligence and then watched New York suffer, but all through it learned absolutely nothing. So today, 
six months after it began, the nation is still unprepared. And we now face a second threat, but this time not from Mother Nature. This is a man-made threat by our own negligence. We now see the virus ricocheting across the country from one state to another. Today, we trail the world in defeating COVID. We have over 5 million cases. Americans learned a critical lesson, how vulnerable we are when we are divided and how many lives can be lost when our government is incompetent. But we learned something else, my friends. We saw the negative, but we also saw the positive. As they proved their way failed, we proved that our way succeeded. That America can still rise to the occasion. We can put our differences aside and find commonality. Government can tell the truth and can build trust. We can judge by content of character rather than color of skin. We can care for one another. That Americans can work together and forge community and a competent government. That, of course, we will wear masks because we are smart and because I care about you and because you care about me. Of course, we will socially distance because staying away shows how close we actually are. Yes, we will set up testing and tracing and do whatever we need to do to mobilize to win this battle because we are America. We win wars and we are the greatest country on the globe. And for all the pain and all the tears, our way worked and it was beautiful. We showed that our better angels are strong and that Americans will rise to their call. We saw that even at the end of the day, even if it is a long day, that love wins. Americans' eyes have been opened, and we have seen in this crisis the truth that government matters and leadership matters. And it determines whether we thrive and grow or whether we live or die. Now we need a leader as good as our people a leader who appeals to the best within us, not the worst, a leader who can unify, not divide, a leader who can bring us up, not tear us down. I know that man. I've worked with that man. I've seen his talent. I've seen his strength. I've seen his pain, and I've seen his heart. That man is Joe Biden. Joe Biden is what I call America tough, tough in the best way, tough that is smart, united, disciplined, and loving. Joe Biden can restore the soul of America. And that's exactly what our country needs today. Thank you. And now we'll hear from Kristen Orkiza. Hi, I'm Kristen Orkiza. I'm one of the many who has lost a loved one to COVID. My dad, Mark Anthony Urquiza should be here today, but he isn't. He had faith in Donald Trump. He voted for him, listened to him, believed him and his mouthpieces when they said that coronavirus was under control and going to disappear, that it was okay to end social distancing rules before it was safe, that if you had no underlying health conditions, you'd probably be fine. So in late May, after the stay-at-home order was lifted in Arizona, my dad went to a karaoke bar with his friends. A few weeks later, he was put on a ventilator. And after five agonizing days, he died alone in the ICU with a nurse holding his hand. 
My dad was a healthy 65-year-old. His only pre-existing condition was trusting Donald Trump, and for that, he paid with his life. I am not alone. Once I told my story, a lot of people reached out to me to share theirs. They asked me to help them keep their communities safe, especially communities of color, which have been disproportionately affected. They asked me, a normal person, to help because Donald Trump won't. The coronavirus has made it clear that there are two Americas, the America that Donald Trump lives in and the America that my father died in. Enough is enough. Donald Trump may not have caused the coronavirus, but his dishonesty and his irresponsible actions made it so much worse. We need a leader who has a national, coordinated, data-driven response to stop this pandemic from claiming more lives and to safely reopen the country. We need a leader who will step in on day one and do his job to care. One of the last things that my father said to me was that he felt betrayed by the likes of Donald Trump. And so when I cast my vote for Joe Biden, I will do it for my dad. Thank you, Kristen, for sharing your story. Our nation grieves for your father and all those who have lost, we've lost to this virus. It's a toll that hasn't fallen equally on us. People of color have been disproportionately affected, dying at greater rates than white Americans. But we can honor all of those we've lost by giving Joe Biden and Kamala Harris the opportunity to put in place a real national plan that tests and tracks, that makes sure that access to a vaccine will be fair, and turns the full power of our government toward making sure we have the supplies and technology and, and people, scientists and public health officials and contact tracers, we need to stop this. So right now, let's hear from a champion for our frontline workers who also happens to be an Olympic champion and a World Cup champion, Megan Rapino. Hi, everybody. My name is Megan Rapino, and I have the distinct honor today to host the conversation with four of our frontline workers here in America. We should rename them uh, heroes, absolutely. Chung Lee, can you tell us a little bit about how you're doing during this time? So early on when the government was still trying to figure out uh, proper protocols to protect frontline workers, I had uh, unfortunately contracted COVID through uh, patient contact and was isolated by myself for two weeks. So total isolation, no contact. Once I recovered, luckily, I went back to the front lines to continue to take care of the sick. And what got me originally was uh, watching people die alone. There were no visitors allowed. Everyone was totally isolated. And I knew how that felt because for two weeks, that was me. Not knowing if you were going to wake up, not knowing uh, if you were going to make it, who you were going to talk to, if you can say goodbye. This was people's moms, dads, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, all dying alone. And we know there's a round two coming, and mentally, physically, emotionally, I don't know how many of us on the front lines are going to survive that second round. Dr. Bradley, what effects are you seeing inside your hospital doors of the inaction of the Trump administration when it comes to this COVID response? It's heavy. I mean, I've left the emergency department in tears, and so have a lot of my colleagues. 
people are exhausted and we're looking at the tsunami uh, that's coming this winter with COVID and influenza. And, and I think all of us are wondering how is our system not going to just collapse? Because if we're not there, when people come with their broken arms or they come with their heart attacks and strokes or their appendicitis, we're not going to be there. What were you seeing on the front lines in those very early days that you knew it wasn't going to magically disappear? Did you think it was a hoax then? Oh, absolutely. We knew that this was not a hoax. We were certain of it. All of us knew from experience back in 2009 with the swine flu. We knew what a pandemic would look like. We knew that we needed to have the tools and the resources and the plans in place. But then we have uh, the ineptitude and the lack of leadership from this administration. I've seen the worst of the worst. I Not only have I answered thousands of calls of people that are sick, but people that are dying. Michelle, tell us a little bit about how it's been for you um, on the front lines, what your specific role is as a union nurse. Um, I've been primarily more in the forefront on advocating that our healthcare workers and our patients get the support and the PPE that they need. You know, 10 years ago, um, I responded to the disaster in Haiti. Uh, we were working in a in a tent hospital after the earthquake. Um, but, you know, the first time that I ever feared for my life um, and my family's walking into work was in my own country. We have the money. We have the means. We, we have the resources in this country. We are deeply lacking leadership and somebody who cares. Trump has made it perfectly clear how he feels. And we need a president who cares. That's Joe Biden. Dr. Bradley Dreyfus, Aldo Martinez, Michelle Boyle, and Chung Lee, I can't thank you enough. Um, the American people are forever indebted to you, to your work and your sacrifice and just you showing up every single day and giving everything you have. And thank you again for all of the work you do on the front line. Um, there's no way we could ever repay you. So thank you very much. Millions of people and veterans and senior citizens rely on the postal system for prescription medicines, for their checks. Having the postal service deliver my prescriptions became even more comforting when the COVID-19 virus hit us here in the United States. Hey, folks, how you doing? This is the Coast to Coast Show. Our call number is 515-605-9888. We're monitoring day two of the Democratic National Convention while playing you day one. We're going to be back with some commentary right after this. So we'll continue on with our show right now. This is a special edition of Coast to Coast, and this is day one of the Democratic National Convention. Myeloma. Voting by mail is our only realistic option. In no way do I want my 11 grandchildren to grow up in a world where this kind of suppression exists. I'm Sarah Gideon, and I'm running to represent Maine in the U.S. Senate. Every day, I see the caring and resilient spirit that will get us through this crisis. Americans are looking out for one another. It's time we had leadership in Washington that did the same. With Joe Biden in the White House and a Democratic Senate, I know we can build back our economy and our communities even stronger. 
but tonight I am here to welcome someone who has strong ties to our state and is here in Maine with me. She is reminding all of us to keep fighting through with her song that she is performing, Back in My Body. Please help me welcome someone who's an inspiration to all of us and one of my favorite artists, Maggie Rogers. COVID-19 pandemic hit, all I could think about were my students and their families. All the suffering and pain and death that really didn't have to be this way. If we had leadership in place that would have taken this pandemic seriously in the beginning, we would not be in a situation we are in. We still at this time don't have the necessary PPE. And I am 
very worried about what is in front of us. We're going to have classrooms that maybe have not been sanitized properly because we don't have the money for that kind of equipment. We're going to have classrooms packed with students. And so the virus is going to be hard to contain. So this is very dangerous for the safety of our kids. I hope that the new leadership takes American lives seriously. I know Joe Biden understands that the only way to keep people safe and our economy strong is to follow the recommendations of doctors. And we're going to do everything we can to get Joe Biden elected. Hello, America. I'm Governor Gretchen Whitmer, or as Donald Trump calls me, that woman from Michigan. Tonight I'm here at UAW Local 652 in Lansing, Michigan. Auto workers in this union and across our state could have lost their jobs if not for Barack Obama and Joe Biden. In, 20, in 2009, the Obama-Biden administration inherited the worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. The auto industry on the brink of collapse, a million jobs at stake. But President Obama and Vice President Biden didn't waste time blaming anyone else or shirking their responsibility. They got to work. They brought together union members, companies, and lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, and they saved the auto industry. And wouldn't you know, just a few months ago, as our nation began battling COVID-19, Auto workers across Michigan sprang into action. They started making protective equipment for doctors and nurses on the front lines. Let me break it down. President Obama and Vice President Biden saved these auto workers' livelihoods. Then these workers did their part to save American lives. That's the story of this great nation. Action begets action. Progress begets progress. And when we work together, we can accomplish anything. After all, democracy is a team sport, especially now. It's crucial that we rally together to fight this virus and build our economy back better. From the jump, we took this pandemic seriously in Michigan. We listened to medical experts. We planned. And with a lot of work from the auto workers and too little help from the White House, we executed our plan. We saved thousands of lives. Just imagine if we had a national strategy. So everyone who needs a test gets one for free. So everyone has access to a safe vaccine. So our kids and educators have the resources they need to safely get back to school. With Joe Biden and Kamala Harris in the White House, we will. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will lead by example. It'll be science not politics or ego, that will drive their decisions. They know the health of our people goes hand in hand with the strength of our economy. They know action begets action. Over the past few months, we've learned what's essential, rising to the challenge, not denying it. We've learned who is essential too, not just the wealthiest among us, not a president who fights his fellow Americans, rather than fight the virus and the doctors, the utility workers, truck drivers, and grocery clerks, the child care workers, the parents, the teachers, the mail carriers, 
and the so for Skylar, for her parents, and in the memory of all those we've lost. Let us act. Let us heal as one nation. I've been down this road before. I remember every tree, every single blade of grass, like roses miss the dew. We, the people, means all the people, even those with whom we might not agree, even those we might not expect to see at a Democratic convention. But Joe Biden is a guy who has earned the respect he commands across the world and across the aisle. The stakes in this election call for that kind of leadership. We have to think about more than one party. We have to think about the very core of our democracy. And that's why you're about to hear from some unexpected voices. I'm Governor Christine Todd Whitman. What am I doing here? I'm a lifelong Republican. My parents were introduced at a Republican National Convention by their parents. That's how far back it goes. But this isn't about a Republican or Democrat. It's about a person. A person decent enough, stable enough, strong enough to get our economy back on track. A person who can work with everyone, Democrats and Republicans, to get things done. Donald Trump isn't that person. Joe Biden is. I'm Meg Whitman. I'm a longtime Republican and a longtime CEO. And let me tell you, Donald Trump has no clue how to run a business, let alone an economy. Joe Biden, on the other hand, has a plan that will strengthen our economy for working people and small business owners. For me, the choice is simple. I'm with Joe. Hi, I'm Susan Molinari. I'm a former Republican member of Congress from New York City, and I've known Donald Trump for most of my political career. So disappointing and lately so disturbing. Now, I've also gotten to know and work with Joe Biden on issues related to women that are so important to all of us, women in business, violence against women. That's why I'm so proud to call him my friend and honored to join in supporting his candidacy for president. He's a really good man, and he's exactly what this nation needs at this time. Now, I'm delighted and honored to introduce a former colleague of mine, the former congressman from Ohio, the former governor of Ohio, John Kasich. America is at a crossroads. Sometimes elections represent a real choice, a choice we make as individuals and as a nation about which path we want to take when we've come to challenging times. America is at that crossroads today. The stakes in this election are greater than any in modern times. Many of us have been deeply concerned about the current path we've been following for the past four years. It's a path that's led to division, dysfunction, irresponsibility, and growing vitriol between our citizens. Continuing to follow that path will have terrible consequences for America's soul because we're being taken down the wrong road by a president who has pitted one against the other. He's unlike all of our best leaders before him who work to unite us to bridge our differences and lead us to a united America. I'm a lifelong Republican. But that attachment holds second place to my responsibility to my country. That's why I've chosen to appear at this convention. In normal times, something like this would probably never happen. But these are not normal times. I'm proud of my Republican heritage. It's the party of Lincoln, who reflected its founding principles of unity and a higher purpose. 
But what I have witnessed these past four years belies those principles. Many of us can't imagine four more years going down this path. And that's why I'm asking you to join with me in choosing a better way forward. I believe the best of America lies ahead, but only when we rediscovered our shared belief in the United States of America for our children's future, which can be bright, hopeful, and inspired. So, I've known Joe Biden for 30 years. I know his story of profound grief that has so deeply affected his character. I know Joe is a good man, a man of faith, a unifier, someone who understands the hopes and dreams of the common man and the common woman, a man who can help us to see the humanity in each other. He knows that the... Folks, breaking news here on the Coast to Coast Show. You may have heard it. You may not have. We are here with breaking news that AOC Cortez, Angela Cortez, has just endorsed not Joe Biden, but Bernie Sanders as president of the United States. She seconds the nomination for Bernie Sanders. We just heard this breaking news. We confirmed it. It's true. Broke with the theme of the convention. Wow. That is breaking news. Yes, folks. Um, True. It's, uh, I just wanted to tone down the uh, day one coverage of the Democratic National Convention to give you that breaking news, uh, which is, you know, I don't know who, if it was expected. I don't think that was pre-recorded. They may want to do something about it, but it was because I thought they had a pretty consistent following and theme um, for this convention. But boy, I'll tell you something, that is breaking news and that's going to make headlines. You heard about it right here on the Coast to Coast show. Again, Angela Cortez is, is endorsing and second it, What's this? I'm hearing. Okay, I'm sorry. Just heard from from our our, our interns here um, that Cortez did, in fact, uh, endorse Bernie Sanders for president of the United States, not Joe Biden. And um, all right, let's get back to where we are in the convention here. I just want to, you know, give you that breaking news as it happens. That's what we're about here on the Coast to Coast show. And let's get back to day one's coverage um, of the Democratic National Convention. Um, I'm that you're able to click on the link and listen to this, any part of the convention you may have missed, you're able to get it right here. I'll keep quiet and let's keep going. Here we go. In this country together once again. And now from Alabama, Senator Doug Jones. I'm Senator Doug Jones from the great state of Alabama. Growing up in the South meant growing up in the midst of stark divisions. But it was here in Alabama where Rosa Parks helped ignite a movement by refusing to give up her seat on a bus, where freedom riders of different races came together in pursuit of equality. And it was here in Alabama where John Lewis marched across a bridge toward freedom. From a young age, I knew the hope that comes from seeing good people work to heal our divisions. It's what led me to become the United States Attorney, where I convicted two Klansmen who murdered four young black girls in a 1963 Birmingham church bombing 
and delivered long overdue justice. I'm standing in front of an exhibit dedicated to their memory. Alabama has shown me that even our deepest divisions can be overcome because each of us wants the same thing, to be treated fairly and given the same opportunities and the freedom to live with dignity and respect. Now, some politicians try to pit us against each other, but I believe that Americans have more in common than what divides us. And in November, we have a chance to elect a president who believes that too. I've known Joe for more than 40 years. I met him as a wide-eyed law student and he's been my friend and champion ever since. The Joe I know is exactly the leader our country needs right now. He can bring people together to find common ground while standing up for what he believes is right. After years of bitter partisanship, he can unite our country and get things done for working families and everyone looking for a better future. Because it's not about what side of the aisle we're on, it's about whether or not we're on the side of the people. The great John Lewis would often quote the old African proverb, when you pray, move your feet, and then challenge us to do just that. As a nation, he said, if we care for the beloved community, we must move our feet, our hands, our resources to build and not tear down, to reconcile and not to divide, to love and not to hate, to heal and not to kill. In the final analysis, we are one people, one family, one house, the American house, the American family. Vice President Biden understands that, and he is who we need as our next president. Here we are on a Monday night in 2020, and we need to talk about the post office, the U.S. Postal Service. It is central to so much of our lives. Veterans count on the post office to get their prescriptions. Social Security beneficiaries count on the post office to get their checks. Grandparents depend on the post office to send birthday cards to their grandkids. Small businesses need the post office to do business. And guess what? The post office is also one of the ways we cast our votes. To find out how to exercise that right this November, whether by mail or in person, text VOTE, V-O-T-E, to 30330. And here to say more is the first Latina elected to the United States Senate, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. Hello, I'm Senator Catherine Cortez Masto from Nevada. This year, more Americans than ever before are going to vote from rooms just like this, marking their ballots at the kitchen table and exercising one of our most fundamental rights from home. But despite what the president says, Voting by mail has been a secure, proven option for decades. In 2016, 33 million Americans voted by mail. Even Donald Trump has requested an absentee ballot twice this year. This fall, some Americans will choose to vote in a vo voting booth with a mask on, while many of us will choose to vote by mail. My home state took the advice of scientists and medical experts and listened to the people of Nevada to put in place a vote by mail system so voters have a lot of options this fall. But Donald Trump is trying to divide us by undermining that right. He has threatened to withhold federal funding to Nevada because of our vote-by-mail system. That's funding our schools and seniors rely on. He has challenged us in court with a meritless lawsuit, one that our Republican Secretary of State has asked the judge to dismiss. And now he is putting the lives of Nevada's seniors at risk by trying to defund the post office.
Here's what that means. Seniors won't be able to get their prescriptions because he wants to win an election. Well, Mr. President, Nevada is not intimidated by you. America is not intimidated by you. We are united by shared values, shared history, and shared rights, including our fundamental right to vote. And this fall, we will send Joe Biden to the White House and will flip the U.S. Senate. With Mitch McConnell out of power, and a Democratic majority in the Senate, we will expand voting access and protect voting rights. To do this, America, we need you on our side. So go to JoeBiden.com right now to chip in, and then head over to FlipTheSenate.com to help us take back the Senate. Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell know how to divide, but we know how to stand together and turn this country around. This year we had an historic field of presidential candidates, an historic number of women, including our vice presidential nominee, Kamala Harris, more candidates of color than any primary ever, and the first openly gay man to win a caucus. This party, the Democratic Party, welcomes everyone, encourages everyone to lead, and invites everyone's ideas to ensure this country builds back better. This is what our next speaker believes, too, Senator Amy Klobuchar. Okay. Hello, America. Like my friend Catherine, I believe that the right to vote is fundamental and the post office is essential. You know, the president may hate the post office but he's still going to have to send them a change of address card come January. Donald Trump just happens to be in my state today trying to divide people instead of responding to the pandemic and the significant... All right, folks, here's who we are. We're going to jump right now to Michelle Obama's speech, and I hope that you enjoy listening to our day one coverage of the Democratic National Convention. I'm monitoring day two as we play day one, and uh, we'll be playing day two tomorrow, and it is indeed fascinating some breaking news that we already covered on the show. And right now what we're going to do uh, is play uh, Michelle Obama's talk yesterday, which I thought was absolutely, uh, was just fantastic. I thought she hit the, the, the nail with the hammer directly, precisely, and, and really, really talked about, uh, what, what did Trump say? It is what it is. That, it is what it is. And, and folks, just so you know, before we do this, uh, we're going to be doing and providing the same coverage for the Republican National Convention. Okay, so just keep that in mind. We're not just playing Democrats. We're just going to talk Democrats all the time. We are going to be playing the Republican National Convention when it is on as well. So uh, we're trying to keep it fair here. So without uh, further ado, here is uh, Michelle Obama's speech during day one of the Democratic National Convention. have people in affordable housing. But for every human being in this country to have access to quality health care and economic means to care for themselves and families. Access to equality and equitable education. A system of government that protects the workers and their families. Joe Biden throughout his career has focused on rebuilding the middle class. We need a leader that actually supports our unions for our hardworking people. Real leadership to show genuine support for small businesses during this downturn due to the COVID crisis. I believe Joe Biden has the...
my American dream is to have an America where we have people in affordable housing. But for every human being in this country to have access to quality health care and economic means to care for themselves and families. Access to equality and equitable education. A system of government that protects the workers and their families. Joe Biden throughout his career has focused on rebuilding the middle class. We need a leader that actually supports our unions for our hardworking people. Real leadership to show genuine support for small businesses during this downturn due to the COVID crisis. I believe Joe Biden has the experience, the platform, and the empathy to build America back better. He wants good things for all Americans, not just a select The voices we long to hear right now are the ones that speak with courage and kindness, strength and wisdom, love and compassion. They're unafraid to speak the truth and talk about their own uncertainties and struggles. They make us feel seen and inspire us to become the best versions of ourselves. Our next speaker is that for all of us. It is my honor and privilege to introduce the former First Lady, Michelle Obama. Good evening, everyone. It's a hard time, and everyone's feeling it in different ways. And I know a lot of folks are reluctant to tune into a political convention right now or to politics in general. Believe me, I get that. But I am here tonight because I love this country with all my heart, and it pains me to see so many people hurting. I've met so many of you. I've heard your stories. And through you, I have seen this country's promise. And thanks to so many who came before me, thanks to their toil and sweat and blood, I've been able to live that promise myself. That's the story of America. All those folks who sacrificed and overcame so much in their own times because they wanted something more, something better for their kids. There's a lot of beauty in that story. There's a lot of pain in it too. A lot of struggle and injustice and work left to do. And who we choose as our president in this election will determine whether or not we honor that struggle and chip away at that injustice and keep alive the very possibility of finishing that work. I am one of a handful of people living today who have seen firsthand the immense weight and awesome power of the presidency. And let me once again tell you this, the job is hard. It requires clear-headed judgment, a mastery of complex and competing issues, a devotion to facts and history, a moral compass, and an ability to listen, and an abiding belief that each of the 330 million lives in this country has meaning and worth. A president's words have the power to move markets. They can start wars or broker peace. They can summon our better angels or awaken our worst 
instincts. You simply cannot fake your way through this job. As I've said before, being president doesn't change who you are. It reveals who you are. Well, a presidential election can reveal who we are too. And four years ago, too many people chose to believe that their votes didn't matter. Maybe they were fed up. Maybe they thought the outcome wouldn't be close. Maybe the barriers felt too steep, whatever the reason. In the end, those choices sent someone to the Oval Office who lost the national popular vote by nearly 3 million votes. In one of the states that determined the outcome, the winning margin averaged out to just two votes per precinct. Two votes. And we've all been living with the consequences. When my husband left office with Joe Biden at his side, we had a record-breaking stretch of job creation. We'd secured the right to health care for 20 million people. We were respected around the world, rallying our allies to confront climate change. And our leaders had worked hand-in-hand with scientists to help prevent an Ebola outbreak from becoming a global pandemic. Four years later, the state of this nation is very different. More than 150,000 people have died and our economy is in shambles because of a virus that this president downplayed for too long. It has left millions of people jobless. Too many have lost their health care. Too many are struggling to take care of basic necessities like food and rent. Too many communities have been left in the lurch to grapple with whether and how to open our schools safely. Internationally, we've turned our back, not just on agreements forged by my husband, but on alliances championed by presidents like Reagan and Eisenhower. And here at home, as George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and a never-ending list of innocent people of color continue to be murdered, stating the simple fact that a black life matters is still met with derision from the nation's highest office. Because whenever we look to this White House for some leadership or consolation or any semblance of steadiness, what we get instead is chaos, division, and a total and utter lack of empathy. Empathy. That's something I've been thinking a lot about lately. The ability to walk in someone else's shoes the recognition that someone else's experience has value too. Most of us practice this without a second thought. If we see someone suffering or struggling, we don't stand in judgment, we reach out because there but for the grace of God go I. It is not a hard concept to grasp. It's what we teach our children. Unlike so many of you, Barack and I have tried our best to instill in our girls a strong moral foundation to carry forward the values that our parents and grandparents poured into us. But right now, kids 
in this country are seeing what happens when we stop requiring empathy of one another. They're looking around wondering if we've been lying to them this whole time about who we are and what we truly value. They see people shouting in grocery stores, unwilling to wear a mask to keep us all safe. They see people calling the police on folks minding their own business just because of the color of their skin. They see an entitlement that says only certain people belong here. That greed is good and winning is everything because as long as you come out on top, it doesn't matter what happens to everyone else. And they see what happens when that lack of empathy is ginned up into outright disdain. They see our leaders labeling fellow citizens enemies of the state while emboldening torch-bearing white supremacists. They watch in horror as children are torn from their families and thrown into cages and pepper spray and rubber bullets are used on peaceful protesters for a photo op. Sadly, this is the America that is on display for the next generation. A nation that's underperforming not simply on matters of policy, but on matters of character. And that's not just disappointing, It's downright infuriating because I know the goodness and the grace that is out there in households and neighborhoods all across this nation. And I know that regardless of our race, age, religion, or politics, when we close out the noise and the fear and truly open our hearts, We know that what's going on in this country is just not right. This is not who we want to be. So what do we do now? What's our strategy? Over the past four years, a lot of people have asked me, when others are going so low, does going high still really work? My answer, going high is the only thing that works. Because when we go low, when we use those same tactics of degrading and dehumanizing others, we just become part of the ugly noise that's drowning out everything else. We degrade ourselves. We degrade the very causes for which we fight. But let's be clear. Going high does not mean putting on a smile and saying nice things when confronted by viciousness and cruelty. Going high means taking the harder path. It means scraping and clawing our way to that mountaintop. Going high means standing fierce against hatred while remembering that we are one nation under God. And if we want to survive, we've got to find a way to live together and work together across our differences. And going high means unlocking the shackles of lies and mistrust with the only thing that can truly set us free, the cold hard truth. So let me be as honest and clear as I possibly can. Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he is clearly in over his head. 
He cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is. Now, I understand that my message won't be heard by some people. We live in a nation that is deeply divided, and I am a black woman speaking at the Democratic Convention. But enough of you know me by now. You know that I tell you exactly what I'm feeling. You know I hate politics. But you also know that I care about this nation. You know how much I care about all of our children. So if you take one thing from my words tonight, it is this. If you think things cannot possibly get worse, trust me, they can and they will if we don't make a change in this election. If we have any hope of ending this chaos, we have got to vote for Joe Biden like our lives depend on it. I know Joe. He is a profoundly decent man guided by faith. He was a terrific vice president. He knows what it takes to rescue an economy, beat back a pandemic, and lead our country. And he listens. He will tell the truth and trust science. He will make smart plans and manage a good team. And he will govern as someone who's lived a life that the rest of us can recognize. When he was a kid, Joe's father lost his job. When he was a young senator, Joe lost his wife and his baby daughter. And when he was vice president, he lost his beloved son. So Joe knows the anguish of sitting at a table with an empty chair, which is why he gives his time so freely to grieving parents. Joe knows what it's like to struggle, which is why he gives his personal phone number to kids overcoming a stutter of their own. His life is a testament to getting back up, and he is going to channel that same grit and passion to pick us all up, to help us heal and guide us forward. Now, Joe is not perfect, and he'd be the first to tell you that, but there is no perfect candidate, no perfect president, and his ability to learn and grow we find in that the kind of humility and maturity that so many of us yearn for right now. Because Joe Biden has served this nation his entire life without ever losing sight of who he is. But more than that, he has never lost sight of who we are, all of us. Joe Biden wants all of our kids to go to a good school, see a doctor when they're sick, live on a healthy planet. And he's got plans to make all of that happen. Joe Biden wants all of our kids, no matter what they look like, to be able to walk out the door without worrying about being harassed or arrested or killed. He wants all of our kids to be able to go to a movie or a math class without being afraid of getting shot. He wants all our kids to grow up with leaders who won't just serve themselves and their wealthy peers, but will provide a safety net for people facing hard times. And if we want a chance to pursue any of these goals, 
any of these most basic requirements for a functioning society, we have to vote for Joe Biden in numbers that cannot be ignored. Because right now, folks who know they cannot win fair and square at the ballot box are doing everything they can to stop us from voting. They're closing down polling places in minority neighborhoods. They're purging voter rolls. They're sending people out to intimidate voters, and they're lying about the security of our ballots. These tactics are not new. But this is not the time to withhold our votes in protest or play games with candidates who have no chance of winning. We have got to vote like we did in 2008 and 2012. We've got to show up with the same level of passion and hope for Joe Biden. We've got to vote early, in person if we can. We've got to request our mail-in ballots right now, tonight, and send them back immediately and follow up to make sure they're received and then make sure our friends and families do the same. We have got to grab our comfortable shoes, put on our masks, pack a brown bag, dinner, and maybe breakfast too, because we've got to be willing to stand in line all night if we have to. Look, we have already sacrificed so much this year. So many of you are already going that extra mile. Even when you're exhausted, you're mustering up unimaginable courage to put on those scrubs and give our loved ones a fighting chance. Even when you're anxious, you're delivering those packages, stocking those shelves, and doing all that essential work so that all of us can keep moving forward. Even when it all feels so overwhelming, working parents are somehow piecing it all together without child care. Teachers are getting creative so that our kids can still learn and grow. Our young people are desperately fighting to pursue their dreams. And when the horrors of systemic racism shook our country and our consciences, millions of Americans of every age, every background rose up to march for each other, crying out for justice and progress. This is who we still are, compassionate, resilient, decent people whose fortunes are bound up with one another. And it is well past time for our leaders to once again reflect our truth. So it is up to us to add our voices and our votes to the course of history Echoing heroes like John Lewis, who said, when you see something that is not right, you must say something. You must do something. That is the truest form of empathy. Not just feeling, but doing. Not just for ourselves or our kids, but for everyone. For all our kids. And if we want to keep the possibility of progress alive in our time, if we want to be able to look our children in the eye after this election, we have got to reassert our place in American history. And we have got to do everything we can to elect my friend Joe Biden as the next president of the United States.
Thank you all. God bless. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you, Michelle Obama. You are, you are what we miss in this country. We need more of that example. Thank you so much for being part of this unconventional convention. Uh, thanks to all of y'all who have been tuning in. It's a, it's a convention of... My name is Marie calling from Northern California, um, just tuning into your show here and really finding um, amazing content here. I mean, it's great to catch up with the DNC convention, not having watched, um, been able to catch all of it. But um, tonight, the, the news that, that's been breaking today is pretty um, pretty wild, I think. I, 
I mean, what are the thoughts? How How is the, the DNC now? I mean, we have the nominee, Joe Biden, and then now with, with all this backing from pretty prominent people of the Democratic Party nominating Bernie Sanders, too, um, does, does that signal any divide still in the Democratic Party that maybe will people then end up jo- voting for Joe Biden? What are the thoughts there? I do, I do, and I think that um, even Kamala Harris is a pretty strong moderate. I think it's going to be, I mean, is that progressive vote going to, I've heard a lot of talk on the progressive side, the people that did really support Sanders, um, are they willing to lend that support, or are we going to see kind of something that happened in 2016 where less than half of the U.S. population ended up casting a vote? But there still are those people that do not like Joe Biden at all. Well, no, I think it's going to take them, you know, depending on how strong their opinion is. At the end of the day, when it comes down to it, clearly the past four years under Trump has not proved any goodness or, or betterment for the country. So I think hopefully those voters if they do have the, the ideas and the progressive mindset and can grasp their ideas, you know, their mindset around these very more far-fetched liberal ideas, I think that, you know, in terms of getting Trump out of office, it's kind of the thing where, you know, Joe Biden might not be the express train to the destination we want to get to, but he sure is going to get us along the way. Well, I'm, I'm more so in, in a much more democratic area, um, but back then, you know, I actually did not vote in the in the 2016 election. Um, I didn't agree with either candidate. I didn't think that either of them would really be the, the strongest one to support my ideas, and therefore didn't feel like a vote was really going to contribute to the America that I wanted to see. And now looking back, I'm like, well, okay, well, if Trump sure is not going to get us close to the America that I would like to see, and this is, of course, is my opinion, but I think that Joe Biden now has definitely earned my vote in terms of someone that, although he may not have all the you know, target points that a lot of um, people may want to hear. I think he, he definitely does a much better job of the the purpose of the presidency, which is to unite the American people and, and you know, have a good image and good foreign policy and, and understand all types of Americans, not just the ones that um, are in their immediate circle. Like Trump is obviously, you know, as we've seen over the past four years, extremely um selective in terms of who he keeps in his close circle and who benefits from the policies he puts in place. So I think Joe Biden is definitely the one um, that can bring America closer together and kind of cross that bridge, as Amy Klobuchar said in her uh, in her nominating statement, that, um, you know, Joe Biden really can do that job of crossing that bridge and bringing America back together. So.